Thank you for joining the Georgia Chamber podcast. For 105 years, we have been the leading voice of business in the state of Georgia. Through these podcasts, we want to help you better understand the issues facing our state and how your business can grow and prosper. Thanks for joining us. To learn more, go to www.gachamber.com. Good afternoon. I'm Chris Clark, President and CEO of the Georgia Chamber of Commerce, and I want to welcome you to the first Resiliency Roundtable uh, that's part of the Georgia Chamber's Resiliency and Recovery Initiative. Uh, over the last two months, we've worked hard to provide our members and Georgia businesses with the most up-to-date information related to the pandemic and the economic crisis that uh, has followed. And about three weeks ago, we announced our new Resiliency and Recovery Initiative uh, to focus on helping Georgia businesses reopen, uh, to help our communities recover, uh, to build Georgia back to being the best place to do business in the country, uh, but also during this time to help Georgia businesses focus on how they can become more resilient, how they withstand a second wave of COVID-19, or how they're prepared for the next crisis that might emerge in the future. And as part of that, we're hosting a series of these roundtables uh, with industry leaders from around the Georgia. We'll do this every week for the next uh, 12 to 14 weeks with different industry sectors and hope that you'll join us and learn more as we move through this process. Today, uh, we're doing this in sponsorship and partnership with the Georgia Screen Entertainment Coalition, uh, an organization formed here at the Chamber several years ago to focus on how we grow the entertainment industry in the state of Georgia. Uh, we're very proud of this industry. It's done incredible work uh, and how they recover and respond is extraordinarily important to our long-term economic viability in the state of Georgia. And so what we hope to do during these roundtables is to focus on the industry specifically, how they, what life was like before the pandemic, what life has been like during, and how they're more resilient and how the industry recovers. We're also looking for best practices that go across industry sectors and for ideas uh, that we might take back to the Georgia General Assembly or back to Congress about how we help different industry sectors recover over the long term as we move now into a recession. So our format today, we've got three incredible visionary leaders from the entertainment industry uh, that will each talk a little bit about their own individual uh, studio and their work there, and then we'll go through a series of questions. Uh, we also want to thank our friends at Georgia Public Broadcast and the Georgia News Network uh, for being partners in sharing this information around the state. So our three guests today, uh, first is Laura Danes. She's the Executive Vice President of Warner Media Studios, which was formerly Turner Studios. Uh, she oversees 170 partners and 42 business units, everything that you already know at home that you watch from CNN to HBO Max to TBS to Turner Sports are all under her incredible purview. We also have Ryan Millsaps, who's chairman and CEO of Black Call Studios. Uh, Ryan recently announced a $150 million expansion to the 165-acre studio that he's got in uh, Southeast Atlanta, plus a new project uh, that he's doing over in London as well. And uh, his studio is familiar to you from Venom and Jumanji and Jungle Cruise and so many other uh, great movies that we enjoy and are proud to have filmed in Georgia. And then lastly is Frank Patterson, who's president and CEO of Pinewood Atlanta Studios and is chair of the Georgia Screen Entertainment Coalition. Uh, Frank is really critical and visionary in leading that next phase of the industry's growth in Georgia. Uh, his studio, Pinewood Atlanta, as you all know, is, is famous and home to so many of our favorite Marvel and Disney productions. 
and I'm, I'll brag they're four miles from my house. So we're by there all the time and see the incredible impact that they do. And so we really appreciate Laura, Ryan, and Frank uh, being with us today. And to get us started, uh, Laura, I'm going to kick it to you and talk a little bit about what life was like before, what it's been like now uh, as we've been in the shutdown, and give us good news uh, for the horizon. Okay, I'm going to try. Um, thank you, Chris. I really appreciate being here. And um, I just want to say I have uh, been so fortunate to be part of the entertainment industry here in Atlanta, here in Georgia, for the last 27 years with Turner, now Warner Media. And so um, I'm, a, I'm glad to hear you speak so fondly of our, of our uh, sector because it is near and dear to my heart, of course. And I think we have done a lot of amazing things, especially in our company um, over those years. My current role here at um, Warner Media is that I run the studio, as you mentioned, that is here in Atlanta. It's a 300,000 square foot facility, has over 300 um, artists and craftspeople that work there on a regular basis for over 46 different units across, um, across our business, whether it be production, post-production, design visual effects, sound design, we kind of uh, touch all different aspects of the production process and the entertainment process. Um, in a typical year, which this is not, but in a typical year, we produce over 500,000 hours of content, including live broadcasts, a lot of people in, suites, uh, in suits talking about sports is our specialty. Uh, so um, Inside the NBA comes live from Midtown Atlanta uh, every week, and, um, or did, will, continue to in the future. Um, we do a lot of live gaming competitions, entertainment programs, including documentaries and series, as well as a whole lot of promotional content for our vast suite of networks that include um, Turner Sports, Bleacher Report, NBA TV, TNT, TBS, True TV, Turner Classic Movies, Cartoon Network, Adult Swim, and now our newest endeavor uh, for Warner Media, which is HBO Max, launching next week. Super excited about that. Um, on average, we do about 1,200 different shoots per year, including over 250 that goes specifically to social media now, which is a, obviously a thing that all of us are doing a lot more of these days. Um, and uh, March is always our biggest time of year uh, for Turner for Warner Media Studios. I'm still having a tough time transitioning from Turner to Warner Media. Um, but for Warner Media Studios, March is always busy because we do um, uh, broadcast March Madness from our uh, facility in partnership with CBS. And um, this year was set to be especially important for all of us across all of Georgia as we were hosting it here in Atlanta. And uh, our team at Warner Media Studios not only helps with the broadcast, but also puts on all of the fan events associated with March Madness, including the fan fest that was going to be in. Um, in the convention center and the, the free uh, concerts, March Madness Music Fest, which is a really big fun thing that would have happened in Centennial Olympic Park. So we're pretty sad about that. Um, COVID-19 obviously has had a massive impact on our industry and the work that we do, but um, we were very thankful that Warner Media was able to not only pay all of the freelance employees we had scheduled for, um, for March Madness, but also for our NBA coverage. And uh, as you may have heard, our company 
um, set up $100 million in assistance for um, productions that have been paused because of this pandemic. Locally here, we, uh, we give about a, a million dollars a year always for the um, arts and cultural uh, um, centers of Atlanta and Georgia. And this year we've set up another $250,000 fund to assist um, local arts, medium and small local arts um, programs. So that's kind of in a nutshell what we've been doing, what we're, but the one thing I want to emphasize is production hasn't stopped for us. Even though live production and um, sports production has been kind of at a, let's say a standstill, not complete. We do have the match coming up this weekend, which we're super excited about. And uh, HBO Max is launching next week. We've been doing a whole lot for that, including a live premiere event that we helped put on for our, um, for our company. And then we, uh, virtual live, not real live. Um, and then we are still uh, in our post-production side of things, still at 100% capacity. All of our artists are working from home, which I guess like four or five months ago, we would have said was absolutely impossible. But now we see we were able to shift everyone to home and keep producing content. And so we're very fortunate about that. Um, so we're very, very excited about HBO Max, about the match this weekend. If you're not familiar with it, it's Tiger Woods and uh, Phil Mickelson with Tom Brady and Peyton Manning, all in a kind of match to, um, to, for charity. And we're super excited. It is the first live production that we're doing on location since this whole uh, pandemic has started. So we're really, really excited about that. And uh, so be on the lookout for that this weekend. HBO Match, uh, Max launching next week is really super exciting for us, our company, and I think for the industry, it means a whole lot of content we're creating and we are ready to get back to it. So we are excited, we're working hard to try and get ourselves back into the uh, production game. And this weekend is the beginning. So that's me. Thank you, Chris. Thanks, Laura. And thanks for giving us something to do this weekend to watch, too. Uh, that's exciting. I can't wait to watch that, that match. Uh, Ryan, I'm going to toss it to you. Tell us what's happening with your studio. Tell us a little bit more. <clears throat> well, we're a ghost town right now, so not a lot's happening. We're um, working really closely with our production partners at Disney and um, Universal legendary all trying to come up with uh the protocols to get started again we're hoping to have guys move in the first week of june and begin building and preparing for filming that would take place in july and we're hopeful that we actually stay on those timelines i mean obviously it's an unprecedented time nobody knows exactly how to make uh content in movies and television inside of a post-covid world and um, there's going to be some guess and check there and just getting, getting started and trying to figure out what works and what doesn't work. Um, I know we're doing quite a bit of retrofit to stages and inside areas for air handling and other sanitary conditions. Um, I've heard that Pinewood's doing similar work as well. Uh, so I think, you know, those kind of elements are, again, as we're trying to come up with preventative measures to make environments as controlled and viral free as possible. 
but you know, none of us have ever run those kind of environments before where we were concerned about um, how you control viruses. And so we're learning as we go. We're learning things from the uh, healthcare systems. You know, a lot of these guys have had air handling systems around uh, viral protection for a long time. And uh, so we're starting to do some of that cross industry uh, knowledge to figure out how we can create ecosystems that are, you know, safe and secure uh, from a viral standpoint. Ryan, tell us a little bit, if you would, about your current expansion here and your work in, in, in the UK. And I'm curious, are you seeing the same shutdown of production overseas that you're seeing here? Is it, is it global right now or is it really just focused on America? No, it's global. I mean, there are a couple productions that are in that are actually in production in Iceland, uh, New Zealand, uh, you know, places that are a little more uh, isolated where they can take entire crews and put them in quarantine while they're filming. Um, and so they're, you know, they're experimenting with that. And so it's happening around the globe. But in general, most of the studios are completely silent. Uh, the actors and directors and producers are all at home quarantined, just like the rest of us. And they're trying to figure out how to get back to work. Now, what is happening in this industry, which is fascinating, is obviously um, content is being consumed at a higher rate than it ever has been before. Everybody's at home, bored, trying to find stuff to do. And they, you know, they, they watched Ozark. And now they're looking for the next thing. And uh, they watched whatever the next thing is. And then they ran out of that. And so everyone I know is searching for good content to, to uh, dial up into their homes. And so that pipe of content is being drained, but it's not being refilled. And so there's a huge backlog of demand uh, that is churning in the background uh, with no place to be produced. Um, so once we get back open, not just Black Hall, but really the entire industry, once the entire industry gets back open, it's gonna shoot like a rocket. Um, and, and we're going to have, you know, more demand than we've ever had before. We're going to have all this backlog of, of uh, production that needs to take place. And so it's going to be, a, a, you know, this fascinating tension of new protocols, but huge amounts of demand. So it's, this will be one of the industries that comes out of this uh, pause faster and bigger than it was before. Got it. Thanks, Ryan. I want to come back and follow up and talk a little bit more about that recovery piece, but I want to give Frank an opportunity here to talk a little bit about Pinewood, what you're seeing. I know you've had some, some great announcements, uh, Frank, too, during the last uh, month or two here as well, some exciting news for you guys. So tell us what's happening at Pinewood. Thanks, Chris. Uh, and I want to say thanks for putting this panel together and how fortunate are we to have uh, leaders like Laura and Ryan in this community, um, uh, where Atlanta's just become such a great place uh, for, and such a great partner to the film industry. Uh, as you know, we came to the market, uh, what was that, five, six years ago? Um, we have about, uh, those folks who hadn't been in the studio, 18 sound stages, about a million square feet under roof, really built for tent pole production. Um, we we're on 700 acres and you know, before the virus hit, we had anywhere from 3,500 to 6,000 people a day showing up on the lot. Um, we have a couple of tent pole productions uh, right in the middle of launching. Uh, three, uh, you know, streaming shows, uh, high quality streaming shows that we're very excited about that were right in the middle of production. And uh, then, of course, uh, come March, everyone started putting pencils down. And to, to, Brian, to Ryan's point, there's not many folks on the lot right now. 
And so we began uh, immediately um, uh, launching a, a health and safety plan. So, uh, you know, how can we use this time to uh, up our game in terms of our health and safety so that when production returns, uh, they're returning to, you know, the safest, cleanest place we can make. And uh, we really focused on uh, three areas. And this is, of course, in collaboration with, as Ryan was saying, with the studios, the guilds, the unions, and the associations, as, as you know, Chris, there's not one place where these decisions are made. Uh, this has really been the last eight, 10 weeks, it's really been a collaboration of all these stakeholders. And being a part of those conversations has, has given us a clue about how we might improve what we're doing at, at Pinewood Atlanta. And so we focused on studio access, sort of security, um, you know, who comes on the lot. Uh, oftentimes you'll be on a set and producers and others will invite guests, uh, which is a normal thing. And there are uh, people that are not necessary to be on the set. Well, I think that's going to change, right? Uh, only those who are really necessary to be on the lot need to come on the lot. And I think we focused a lot on badge access, who is going to be allowed in what spaces. And we're going to have to uh, put our, you know, the production teams in pods and control who goes where. New kinds of approaches to studio access that we've never even really thought about before. The second area we focused on was sort of facilities improvements, kind of what Ryan was talking about. Um, we've spent a lot of time, I feel like I went back to grad school, Chris. Uh, I've learned a lot about microbial reduction solutions, um, which I never cared to learn about, but um, discovering new technologies and new processes uh, from other industries that really help us make a cleaner and safer environment for when everyone returns, um, including, you know, swanky hand washing stations and air handler systems and all kinds of stuff that I just never thought I'd be focused on. Um, but that's what we've been doing the last 10 weeks on our facilities updates. And then that third area is really in partnership with the productions and trying to figure out what are the best practices and, and, and new protocols that we need to put in place as we manufacture this content. Um, you know, we're probably gonna be working with smaller crew numbers on the actual stage. I doubt the crew numbers themselves will shrink, but I think, you know, who's working in what area at what time is going to have to be carefully managed. Smaller and closed sets, how we stage crews, how we stage extras, how we shoot extra scenes, um, and importantly, how we uh, manage common areas, how people eat. Uh, I think gone are the days where there's a big bowl of M&Ms on the set for Crafty. You know, I think we're going to have to figure out ways to individually serve folks. Um, and then... In, as part of that process, uh, trying to be a good partner to our, our studio partners to identify um, uh, testing protocols. So once the uh, studios and unions and associations sort of all agree on how we're gonna manage, sort of constantly surveil crew members to make certain that we're testing and keeping everyone healthy, uh, we've been putting forward some ideas and different companies that we've worked with in the past that we think might be good solutions. So it's just been this sort of eight week team effort to try to figure out with the whole industry how we're gonna get back to work safely. And I gotta say, about three weeks ago, it started becoming very personal to me. I was head down, we were so focused on how we were gonna get this thing back up. And I began to realize that there was this tension and it's kind of what Ryan was talking about. I know these people, I, you know, I have friends that are on the G&E teams and the sound teams and producers and directors. And they're on the lot. And so I realized we were really focusing on making certain that we're building a safe place for them to come back to, thinking about these people who are personal to me. 
And then on the other hand, these are crew members that are not working right now. They have families to feed. And so we felt this internal struggle on our teams to, to, to really do everything we can as fast as we can to make certain it's as safe as we can because we got to make certain no one is in a dangerous environment. We also have to make sure people can feed their families. And so I think that represents a struggle that's across our industry right now. Um, and I think um, we're all feeling it. Um, but I've begun to feel uh, positive here recently about where we're headed. And, and I think we're, we're coming up across the industry with some exciting solutions that we're all going to be happy about to get us back to work. Frank, you, you make a great point about, um, about the guys, not the, not the superstars that fly in to shoot, right, or that live here to shoot, but the, the, the men and women that are running the craft services, that are doing the lighting. A lot of these guys are part of IOTSI and our good friend Mike and, and his team over there. Any input from those guys, how they're faring during this, programs for them? Um, any, to open that to any three of you, any insights there from our, those guys have been out of work? Yeah, I would just say that, uh, you know, of course, the IA under Mike's leadership in this market has just been, uh, you know, so smart and supportive uh, of, of their members. Uh, and by the way, you know, uh, been, of course, at the table leading discussion on behalf of labor of how we're all going to get back to work. Right. I think that's critical. Um, you know, uh, Laura, Ryan, I, I'm not sure what you're hearing, but, you know, I, I got to say, we have come together as an industry. Uh, and use the kind of smart brains that are at the table and the spirit of innovation to create solutions that I think we're all going to be excited about going forward, that some good takeaways we didn't even plan on uh, establishing. Laura Ryan, thoughts on, the, on the, the workforce that's not been able to be on site lately? Yeah, I, I will say as, you know, representing one of the larger or largest companies that um, supports production across the industry, um, I do feel like our company has been extremely conscious of the impact on um, the individuals. That is why we've set up the funds that we have. That is why um, when March Madness and NBA uh, went down, we were still paying our crews and our uh, freelance employees because it is, these people are really important to us. They're part of our family. We are um, committed to trying to make sure that they are safe and healthy so that when we do get to go back into full production, they are uh, available and ready to go and, um, and stable. But it's, it is definitely hard. And as long as this has gone on, I, um, I feel like the sooner we can all work together to get uh, the industry back up and going. And I do believe we, we feel confident that we will be a catalyst. Warner Media has, uh, is very vocal in saying that we feel that um, whether it's in Georgia or across the entire industry, um, we can be a catalyst for the economy as soon as, as soon as we can get ourselves back up and running. And uh, we, are, we are working hard every day. I sit on a daily task force across all of Warner Media working on what are our protocols going to be? How are we going to work across um, all of the different partners we have in the industry to get ourselves back up and running as soon as quick as, as possible? And, you know, some positive signs of life are, are things like the match. It is a, it's a much smaller crew than we would normally have for something like this, but, um, but we're going and uh, it is exciting to get going. We also in Germany have a production, a small production going, um, as part of the Warner uh, Media family. So there are productions that are, are starting to turn back to life, and I'm, 
I'm really hoping that we're going to get there soon here in the United States and here in Georgia. Ryan, thoughts? <clears throat> well, I mean, everybody in this industry is no different than every everybody in all the other industries, which is, I think people are tired of being home and they're tired of not making money and they just want to get back to as much normal life as humanly possible. And so it just really comes down to protocols and the logistics of work in a new environment. So um, what I'm experiencing is that everybody from top to bottom is working really hard with the goal of just getting back to work. Right. So Ryan, while, while, um, why don't you keep going here for a minute, talk a little bit about what you're hearing from the industry about when you might see production return. You mentioned a minute ago, you were looking at maybe July. Is that a realistic time frame, or is that when you've got some internal deadlines you've got or what are you, are you seeing any activity there? No, we're seeing activity. I mean, we, we have people that are trying to move in the first week of June. Oh, okay. So, so that, that the first week of June would be, you know, uh, producers, uh, accountants, um, set, set designers, set builders, and they would, you know, they'd start swinging hammers probably a week later, mid, middle of June, with the goal of then having sets that could be used for filming, I think, by mid-July. And so then we'd be in full swing by mid-July. That's the goal. Again, you know, everybody's pushing to that timeline, but until it happens, then it hasn't happened yet. And, and everybody just is getting there as quickly as we can. Right. And Ryan, Chris, Ryan and I are in the same boat. And to some extent, obviously Laura is on the facility side, but you know, we're in the unenviable position of having no control on when the industry is coming back, but having to be ready the second they're ready to go. Right. I mean, so when production says it's go, we have to say, great, we're ready. And for, for us, we set a June 1 deadline, not knowing when productions would come back. But with the upgrades to the facilities and all the safety protocols, we knew that come June 1, we better be ready. Now, what that means when productions come back, you know, I'm hearing similar things to Ryan about advanced teams and when pre-production, and we're hearing, you know, cast schedules that, you know, are informing when picture starts. So we're beginning to hear conversations that sound like we're gearing back up. And uh, for us on the facility side, we have to make certain we're ready to go. And so for us, it's June 1. Frank, did you have any, any uh, productions that were ongoing that shut down that have to come back and finish? Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes, we're right in the middle of, so, and, and, you know, they'll be working for another year on a lot to just, you know, to, to Ryan's point, the, the pressure is palpable to get back to work. I mean, the pipeline needs content and you can just feel it. I mean, we're all on Zoom calls in studio and production calls all day long. And, you know, there's just constant tension of we've got to get back into the, into the pipeline. Um, as you know, there's certain areas of the entertainment industry that's been decimated. The live space is just a huge challenge. But to Ryan's point, everyone's consuming streaming content at levels we never expected. We knew it was going to be a big game. We knew it was going to be a big change in the industry. But we didn't see COVID coming. We didn't realize that uptake was going to be as big as it is. And so it only makes the problem worse. And so everyone is simultaneously feeling the pressure to get back to work immediately while making certain that we're getting back to work safely. And that's, you know, it does look like it's coming to the fore, though. Right. So let's change. All three of you touched on what the world looks like 
after this, right? What, what you have to do differently. And Frank, you were talking about the investments that you're making. So you've got no income coming in, but you've got, ex, you've got money going out where you've got to prepare. So I'd like all three of you just to comment on what do you think are the, you know, your priorities for getting people back into the studios? Is it the air cleaner? Is it how you separate people? What are some of those new best practices that other industries might be thinking about as well? Laura, I'll start with you. Yeah, I mentioned uh, I sit on a, a literally daily uh, hour-long discussion with people across the globe for Warner Media, and we are um, focused very much on health and safety. So I've spoken and um, learned more about uh, testing protocols, uh, PPE, and cleaning than I probably ever want to ever again. But um, it is really super important, and it's complex and. Um, every studio, every, and every, we have multiple studios within our family. So every uh, one of us is trying to work together, learn together, and try to uh, move forward together and work with our partners across the industry to form these protocols for health and safety. And obviously working with um, studio facilities like, uh, like Pinewood and Blackhall. And those things are really important that we all start to get consistent information. As anyone that watches the news or has paid attention, consistent information is hard to come by. And, um, and so we are working really hard to figure out what, our, what is our best possible solution at the moment and be constantly adapting and fluid on that. For example, for the match, we are doing testing. We are um, using a lot of personal protection gear. We have set up more trucks than we normally would in a location so that people can be socially distanced and um, not be sitting together in, in small confined spaces. We definitely have a lot less people working in our, in our studio for integration and those people will be wearing masks and uh, the cleaning protocols are pretty um, strict and stringent and they're they're very um, detailed and so this is the work that we're all doing to make sure that we are uh, setting up protocols now when you get into the large-scale productions like happen on uh, our friends lots here those are that much more complex the idea of pods and the idea of keeping um, as few people as possible together at one time but then there's always people on a production that have to cross over those pods and how do you keep those people safe? Those conversations are being had in such excruciating detail on a daily, hourly basis. And um, the, the fluidity of it and the, the constant changing nature of it is um, impressive. But production people are amazing people. They want to go, they want to solve problems. We are, we are puzzle people, you know, we like complex situations. We don't necessarily like how complex this situation is, but we're going to figure it out and find ways to, to make it work. But that's what we're doing every day. But, and one of, one of the things I'll mention here is that um, really kind of two elements. One, when you think of this tax credit and how the last time that we, uh, you know, when we put this tax credit really in place was 2008 at a time when we were searching for ways to expand the Georgia economy. And here we're like, you know, we're in an economy that jobs are contracting dramatically. You know, people are losing jobs left and right. And yet we have this incredible tax credit and this incredible industry in place that's going to come out of this stronger than it ever was before. And, and even stronger, not just relative to ourselves, but relative to our competition. Because 
remember our competition in this in this space is really Canada and the UK. Um, all of our clients are are based in Los Angeles, so that's really where all the content's being um, funded. But Los Angeles is probably not going to be open until mid July or August. So we're going to have a couple months head start in Georgia. Uh, we'll have a couple months head start on New York. We're definitely going to have a couple months head start, maybe more on the UK and Canada. And so Georgia is really going to have an opportunity to be the leading uh, edge of this recovery and the leading edge of all of these logistical protocols. And we're going to play a leadership role in the global recovery, recovery of entertainment. And I think that's uh, an exciting opportunity for Georgia. So Ryan, first of all, so I want to, you talked about the tax credit. We all know how important it is to the industry. What I'm hearing you say, it's even more important now because it allows us to not just get to jump on the reopening first, but to have the pipeline because they can count on those tax credits. Am I hearing you right? No, well, I mean, obviously this entire industry only exists in Georgia because of the tax credit, just like it only exists in the UK or Canada because of the tax credit. So the tax credit is the fundamental foundational element of this industry. The thing I think is most important is that because of that tax credit, we're going to have a job growth, a job explosion in entertainment over the next two years that is going to be unprecedented because we already have all the infrastructure. We already have all the experience. We have all the training. And now we're going to have increased demand on a level that we haven't seen before. Uh, Frank, I want to go back to the health question for a, a moment, if, if I can, before we switch gears here. Do you foresee then there's being a industry standard health protocol? Because you've got, I know, crews that go from your studio, they go to Turner. The next day they're showing up at Ryan's. I mean, is this a, so the whole industry is agreeing these are our new protocols. Is that is that well, right? Well, we do hope that we're going to be adopting some industry-wide protocols that all the stakeholders agree to, right? I mean, that's the plan. And that's really why the studios are putting together their own white papers and their own approaches to it and collaborating with the unions to come up with protocols. And those of us who are servicing these productions need to be ready to help implement that. And so it's not uh, like it's all been happening in a vacuum and it's going to one day appear because I'm in a discussion every week with the Warner team. I'm in a discussion every week with the other studio partners and we're all feeding each other this information with the goal of coming up with some protocols that are, 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 are kind of industry-wide. And I would say, to underscore Laura's point, when you think about filmmaking, it's nothing more than people working in teams uh, under pressure solving complex problems. And we're very good at that. And I'm, I'm certain we're gonna come up with solutions that pre-vaccine, right, are gonna be safe working solutions for us to, to make these products. And to Ryan's point, uh, we know, we already feel the pressure as local Georgia stakeholders that we're gonna be expected to help lead this state's economy out of the problem that we're in because we did it in 2008. We know we're gonna be counted on to do it again. Uh, using the state auditor's numbers from the beginning of the year, you know, Chris, for a $600 million investment, we put $4.6 billion into uh, uh, pockets of Georgians. And that's been a really good investment just in pure numbers, not to mention the kind of long-term opportunity that comes from that initiative. And so everyone's going to be looking to us to get this thing going again, to help put dollars in Georgians' pockets. And we feel that burden, let me tell you. Um, it's, but we're, we're working hard every day to make it happen. Right. Well, so let's switch gears and talk about what that future looks like. I mean, all three of you talked about there's pent-up demand. Uh, we know we're going to be able to help, you know, recover quickly in this industry. 
you know, I, my, um, my grandfather ran the local movie theater. And so I used to go and it was you know, the two story deal with a balcony. It was the grand theater right downtown. And I never went to daycare. I got to go to him every day and play and watch the movies and hang out in the uh, backstage. And it was just a great environment. And I, I love the idea of going to the movies still today. Right. But now we're seeing, or we're, we're hearing fairly frequently in the news that, not only are some of those theaters thinking that they might not reopen now, but even some of the studios are now sending stuff straight to, you know, we watched Disney's new Onward the other day on Disney Plus, and uh, my son informed me last night that the Scooby-Doo movie is out now versus, you know, all the things we're going to go see in the theater. And then, Laura, I hear you talk about social media platforms and digital. So I'd love all three of you to take a few minutes and talk about what you see as the future of the industry, the delivery, and the content here, and how that impacts uh, what you do in Georgia. If you know, if the temp, our tent pole movie is going away, are we going to have a different experience because we're at home? So, uh, Laura, I'll, I'll start with you and op open your crystal ball and share with us. Well, um, you know, just from I, I would uh, I can speak a lot more to the, the production of content than I can to the distribution of that content, but. Um, I think that the demand, as, as Ryan pointed out, the demand for content from our consumers and from the people that um, want to consume it, um, that has not stopped. And so we are dedicated to finding ways to deliver that to them. Obviously, the partnerships we've had with um, all of our distributors across the industry is super important to companies like ours and so we we are always in that kind of um, constant uh, tug of war between the industry as it has been established and the new ways that consumers are, are finding content including direct, uh, direct consumer streaming and um, my personal hope and feeling is that eventually we will still have a hybrid model where people are, are experiencing content in events and, um, and large scale uh, productions in, you know, in groups of people in theaters and in venues. I, I can't imagine we're not going back to that world at some point. It's just not anytime soon. And all of us still want to be entertained. Uh, entertainment has always been a thing that helps a uh, society get through tough times and so you know to me it's really important that companies like ours look for ways to get that content to people so hbo max launching next week has been in the works for a very long time this is not a a new thing but it's happening at a time when this is really the only option for people to really see new content anyways through uh direct -to consumer means and so we're we're going to continue to provide that um but you know, I also, being a part of a, a um, company that really is, thrives on live experiences, I, I assume and know for a fact, human nature is that we want to be together experiencing things. So I don't, I don't see that going away for the future. But I will say, the way we produce content and the way we continue to evolve as an industry will continue to... Um, change and I think we have learned so much in the last five months so many things we thought would never be possible or we would never do uh, in terms of producing content and uh, creating doing all of our post-production from people's homes remotely sending 
uh, kids to talents homes so that they can, you know, do live shots from their basements. You know, we wouldn't have done that back in January. We're doing it now. And I think that we will continue to learn and evolve how to do remote production in this and virtual production. Those things are here to stay. Okay. Ryan, look into your crystal ball. What do you see? Well, I think, um, you know, the trend for really elaborate home theaters is going to be something that just continues to pick up. Um, certainly, we're going to see all sorts of socialization changes, shifts that come out of everyone spending 90 days to 120 days, whatever we end up spending at home with our families, more, more time in the house, um, doing calls like this that I would normally do. Uh, from an office that I'm doing from my house, that is gonna that way of life, this living out of our house way of life is gonna have some impact that's gonna have a go forward impact, whether it's we're gonna work more from home or we're gonna play more at home. Um, we probably just spend less time out in society than we did previously. So the idea that there's not gonna be tent pole movies, I think that's crazy. I think if anything happens, tent poles become a bigger deal, but they might just get released directly to consumers who then get to watch these in their elaborate home theaters. Um, I think that everybody loves, I mean, most people I know love going to the movies. So I think there will be a solution that is a go out into society and watch something collectively because that's a fun experience that most people enjoy. But from a post-COVID, post-viral, post-pandemic, people living at home in quarantine world, I think there will be uh, just social patterns and new habits that we don't know which ones are going to stick, but I certainly would imagine there'd be new ones relative to home life and entertainment. Frank, you, you've been something of a visionary in your industry for a long time, so I'm curious to your thoughts on this, but also your thoughts on the different social media platforms that we're seeing emerge, like a TikTok, and what that looks like from an industry standpoint. Well, I'm, I'm probably going to be in, <clears throat> in Laura's camp on this, you know, bit of an academic point of view, but, you know, Aristotle demonstrated a long time ago, and many people sense that we have this fundamental human need to gather physically together around story. And that's not going anywhere. You know, the, our, our need to gather in a dark room around the fire that is story is going to continue. Uh, just like live theater has been around for thousands of years. I mean, this is just not going to change. Now, to Ryan's point, innovation is going to happen. And we have been watching the role that the cinemas have been playing in the value chain change since 2003, right? And we've watched the streamers come up and we've watched the value of the direct-to-consumer business model grow and grow and grow. But that said, uh, to Ryan's point, I don't think we're going to see temples go anywhere. Uh, these franchise projects are going to continue to grow. Uh, the theater experience continues to be a valuable part of that rollout strategy and will continue to be so. Um, and and I, I'm actually excited to see, to, to Laura's point, we're adopting things that we probably could have adopted earlier but just weren't forced to do. And uh, I think that's going to be uh, some exciting developments uh, in the sort of traditional uh, distribution chain. And then when you add what's happening with the, you know, the, the new social media tools, uh, uh, we've seen some interesting successes and some interesting failures, right, in, in this across the board in recent years. And certainly uh, we're seeing some 
some innovations and watching different uh, results. I'm, I'm thinking of uh, you know Quibi and 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 the unfortunate timing of of the launch of Quibi, or maybe it was you know I just don't know how to look at that. But it's exciting that Jeffrey and team are trying something cool and different. And I think we're going to see more of those innovations emerge uh, here in the coming year as a result of what's happened. Uh, and it'll be exciting to see what happens. Uh, you know you know, uh, what new uh, ways of consuming entertainment we're going to be able to enjoy. Right. I've got two last questions I want you guys to um, just real quick go around. Many of the businesses that we've talked to, and we talk to them every single day in a variety of sectors, they're very worried about the liability issue that comes reopening and what that looks like. I'm curious, have you had conversations there? Is that a concern for your industry? And I'll let anybody jump in here if liability and uh, what types of protections you're thinking are needed out there as you move forward to reopen. Chris, didn't you promise us a safe harbor? I mean, it wasn't- I, I did, but I, I felt like this was a safe question. Yeah, I thought there was gonna be a safe harbor provision in the state of Georgia from the beginning. Absolutely, we, we need that. <laughs> well, I'll just say generally, and you know, uh, I'm sure Laura's been in many more business meetings about this than I have, it's a concern. We're not going to be able to over-insure any kind of business activity. We're going to have to figure out how to make it make sense for everybody at the table. I, I, I do know that nationally and federally, we're looking at uh, passing some safe harbor, you know, some narrow safe harbor laws so we can get back to work while figuring out we make certain that we protect uh, consumers from bad actors, right? But we also have to create a lane of opportunity for us to get back to business. And so I do think that's very smart. I'm looking forward to letting us benefit from those safe harbor uh, uh, laws until we figure out how to get back to work and what these new practices need to be. You know, if you think about the OSHA requirements for the hospital industry, you know, a 200 page document that's taken decades to build. And here we are talking about new regulations in production based on something that happened eight weeks ago will not get there quickly enough. And if we have to wait for those standards to be published to get back to work, we won't make it. So those safe harbor uh, guy, uh, uh, policies are gonna be. I can talk to that a little bit practically. Um, I know that uh, the unions and the production companies are trying to work through all of these uh, questions relative to you know, when crew members sign up to be on a production are they waiving their right to then sue that production for, you know, uh, COVID transmission if they get COVID while they're on this production? I think that's probably going to have to happen. Um, for sure at our studio, um, people that aren't involved with, that, that aren't signing those waivers for the production companies are going to have to sign those waivers for Blackhall to come on lot uh, because we're not going to take the liability of um, our ecosystem for everybody who walks on the lot. Now we're gonna do everything we can to create a very safe ecosystem, but if we were to take that liability, we just, there's no way to ensure around it and it could just uh, prove incredibly uh, terrible to the bottom line and the, and the long-term viability of our business. And I guess, uh, company, we have a lot of lawyers that focus on this. <laughs> obviously, but it is a conversation we're constantly having about um, the, re the new realities of uh, the liability, and, but also the, um, 
the new risks we might be taking by going back to work and then having to shut down and potentially having to shut down again if the lead actor or um, a main um, player happens to get sick and that those realities are always a reality within production. Those are always things, but during a, a global pandemic, it's something that is uh, a heightened awareness. And so those are not only uh, legal decisions and HR decisions and you know um, human decisions, they're also financial decisions that um, are being considered as we talk through all of the um, productions that we have across our entire company, which ones um, we feel comfortable can go and is a reasonable risk and which ones we're gonna have to do more math and do more uh, work to make sure that we feel comfortable with it. So what I'm hearing is like a lot of industry sectors out there, your long-term growth, your ability to reopen does lie on that. And just so you know, we are in constant contacts with our folks in, in Congress, but also here at the Georgia General Assembly about these same issues. And so uh, bringing that up to them. So my last question for each of you is you're now, three chief executives that have moved your company through a very difficult time. Uh, you're now looking at how you become more resilient in the long term uh, for the men and women that work for you and what you have responsibilities for. I'm wondering, do, what advice do you have for your peers, but also for other corporate leaders or even small business folks that might be on the phone to us? Lessons that you've learned, things that you suggest so that they can reopen the right way and that they're more resilient in the long run. And Ryan, I'll, I'll start with you and let you go first there. Well, I mean, this is an unprecedented time. We're experiencing things that we had no ability to plan for, or maybe we had ability, we just hadn't taken that into consideration in that planning equation. I certainly didn't have any pandemic plan. Um, I had no plan that accounted for the notion that, I would, that we'd shut down and have be a ghost town for four months. Um, that's all new territory. And I'm sure that's what most people who are listening to this call are experiencing is that they're in uncharted waters. They, you know, they, uh, lived in a desert. Now they're floating in the ocean and you ask them like, how did, you know, how would you prepare for a shipwreck? And you're like, I lived in a desert, you know? So, um, it's a, it's a very bizarre time. Um, I think certainly, you know, it's going to have some ramifications to business life that aren't dissimilar to the great depression in that suddenly people might take on less debt. Uh, they might want to uh, you know, save more cash and have a, have a greater rainy day fund. Um, you know, we were in a not in a really good financial place and you can't, there's a lot of businesses that just can't survive and we're seeing it, they can't survive three to six months of no revenue. Um, certainly the major businesses in America are even like that. And that's why you're seeing millions and millions of people laid off. Um, I think, you know, as a whole, we're going to learn how to plan for pandemics better. If we were ever to face this again, I think there'd be a better economic uh, process. There certainly would be uh, a better um, health response. Um, and I, but I, but I think, the only way that you learn sometimes is by failing. And I think we're going to have to really stare at ourselves in the mirror and do a post-mortem on this. That's going to be very hard for us to be brutally honest with how unprepared we were for such an event like this. Thank you. Thanks, Ryan. I appreciate that. and appreciate all that you guys do. Laura, what about you? What are your, what's your lesson learned advice? Well, um, 
as I mentioned, I've been in uh, I've been in one company for 27 years, but that company has changed dramatically over that uh, 27 years, including in the past uh, uh, year and a half. And my mantra to folks, especially in um, kind of this portfolio role that we have, has been adaptability is really important. And I think in this in this industry, in this business, adaptability has always been important. We are, it is a very fluid um, industry. Media is constantly changing and the, the wants and needs of consumers is constantly changing. We're constantly having to adapt to that. I think the, um, the thing that has always been important to me as a leader in this industry and a leader in a, in a, a major company in this industry is that this is uh, a very human um, Thing to have to react to all of all changes like this all um, major shifts impact individuals and humans as well as the business and so being able to balance that is incredibly important and to understand um, how to kind of uh, train your workforce and your your um, employees how to take care of themselves as well as be uh, part of an industry and you know part of a, a um, company is really important because at the end of the day we can't take care of each and every individual we can just help them learn how to take care of themselves and that's really important to me that's great Laura Frank you know Chris um, I think you know we have 52 different businesses on our lot and they range from you know big companies that are uh, located around the globe to small mom-and-pop shops uh, and we, you know, immediately started meeting with these businesses the second uh, this all broke. And I found myself saying the same thing to the small business owners that I hope small business owners on this call um, might take away. And that is, there is no way at this moment to put together a solution, a comprehensive solution for how we're moving forward. It just doesn't exist. But what we can do is focus one day at a time one project at a time on how we can put our businesses back to work. And it's that kind of one day at a time, one problem at a time with one solution at a time. And you turn around and for a number of our businesses, they're figuring it out and we're working together to do that. But it really is having the confidence and human ingenuity, you know, in our spirit of work and our ability to problem solve and just say, look, we're going to do this day at a time, problem at a time, and we're going to work together to figure out to get our companies back to work. And importantly, the people who work at all of our different companies to get their lives back up. That's great. Thank, thank all three of you. Uh, thank you for what you do for the state of Georgia, for the employees here that you have. Uh, we want you to know that the chamber and uh, this uh, GSEC are here to help you to continue to champion this industry. For those of you on the call, I want to remind you that tomorrow we have a town hall call with the head of DOT and the Georgia Ports Authority. Next week, travel and hospitality, same type of industry roundtable discussion with the Atlanta Braves, Six Flags, and the Cobb CVB. Uh, at the end of this call, you'll be redirected to our website where you can register for those, uh, those additional calls and continue to go to our website and follow us on social media to get the latest updates about what's happening here in Georgia and at the federal level with the response and the recovery. Thank all of you for being with us today and may God continue to bless our state. Thank y'all. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Thanks Chris. Chris. Yeah. Bye. Yeah. Bye. Yeah.